Let's turn to number 32. Blessed be the name. 
number 32. All oh, praise to Him who reigns above in majesty so
instruments yesterday there was a production over at the Kamiki High School and it was the winter uh, concert series and I did not know that our number one grandson is pretty pretty sharp he's right over here concert string orchestra the first chair I didn't know that he never said anything about that and I was kind of stunned when I heard different groups play and then they worked up to the finale which would be the more advanced type of uh, uh, orchestra players, the violin, viola, cello, and the bass. And uh, Dos was over there. Very proud of my grandson, number one. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had to pay me because everything he knows about the violin, he learned from me. <laughs> so that was really good. That's, that's a blessing. Uh, all right, now listen, all of you who signed up to go caroling on the 16th, which is next Saturday, you're going to have to meet with us right up here with Francis. He's got the you know, program printed out, left, uh, some last minute details. So if you sign up to go, Right over here before we go today for some final words of uh, instruction, 
nobody gets lost, nobody misunderstands anything. We all know what's going to expect to happen. And so that's right over here. Be sure you do that before you go home. And if you're going to pass out tracks and Christmas stuff over to the fishermen, you guys uh, meet as well with us, all right? Just for a couple of minutes, maybe three, and then we'll be on our way. Uh, Bobby is anticipating being out at the rehab place on Thursday. He's coming Thursday, and I uh, saw him a couple days ago, and he thinks Thursday he's going to be out. Um, so, it could be good. It could be not good. He feels stronger in walking up these stairs, and he is not worried about going up these stairs. His apartment has a second floor. He lives on the second floor. Restroom's up, bathroom's up there. Downstairs, the kitchen area, living room. So he has to be upstairs, and the concern has been about his walking up and down, but he feels really confident that he can make that, just rest halfway, you know, have a half time, then work his way up. So he's looking forward to being home. Uh, he's gonna miss the food though, at the rehab place. All right, uh, birthdays. Today is Loretta's birthday. I don't see Loretta, but she's been taking care of her mother who has health problems and she's elderly. Loretta's really <coughs> blessing everybody at church. And she, if you don't know Loretta and, um, uh, another lady who also have two people take care of the offerings and depositing things or uh, accounting for everything so whenever you get your annual statement in January they're the ones who take care of those kind of things so she's very good we appreciate her she just had surgery in her eye she can see better now so if you see any mistakes it's because of that all right how's that for covering for her what is that is that a five or a zero I don't know the, anyway so speaking of that you should get your annual statements of your contributions IRS calls it donations uh, hopefully by the mid-January, we hope to get everything in by then. And then Hilda has a birthday on the 14th. Uh, keep her in prayer and her family. Timothy on the 20th. And so uh, the next the 26th is who else? David? 29th is Benjamin. 29th is Benjamin. How can I forget that? Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin is also called Linus. I'll give him a blanket. He would love that. <laughs> All right, uh, so uh, those are the announcements, and so be sure you guys meet if you plan to go, and uh, keep praying for one another, and uh, read your bulletins that come to you by email. If you don't get that, we'd be glad to send it to you. I hate to waste anything. I hate to waste paper. I hate to waste ink. The bulletin, that way, is the best way to do it, and it's the most convenient way for everybody. All right, and also, if you have any prayer request to, to text in, text it in, and Miranda post it in the prayer bulletin. And... Uh, you should be confined to pray just because you have a prayer list. You, know, you should pray all the time about different things. And, uh, all right. Okay, so, oh. I'm thinking about something here. Uh, oh, um, so, so, there's a little tweak I'm going to do for those of you who are going to go caroling and going to the fishermen, so be sure you come for that meeting, all right? Okay, Mike's gonna come again and teach today. Oh, come, come in, Mike. Uh, did you know, did you know that the 80%, 82% of Christmas trees in America are artificial? That means about 20%, 18% of people get real ones. There's millions of trees that go out every year. 82%. Now, who can tell me the first time an artificial Christmas tree was sold? I will give you a Christmas candy cane. <laughs> who can tell me? Don't look in your phone. Who can say? 
the first artificial Christmas tree that was sold? Anybody want to take a guess? It was 1922. Reasonable guess. One more, then I'm done. 1964. 64. <laughs> Is that right? I just, yes, that's off the top that's of right. my head, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to kill me. Oh, see, I, I kind of give family, though. Family doesn't count. <laughs> it seems like collusion. You have to eat my food. <laughs> seems like collusion. <laughs> All right. Go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. The Bible says, "And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on, believed on in the world, received up into glory." In the Bible, you have a lot of places where you see the word mystery. There are several mysteries in the Bible. In the Bible, many times the word mystery does not always have the meaning that we give it today. Normally when we hear the word mystery, we unsolved mysteries as a <laughs> program, right? Uh, a mystery today, normally we think of something that's difficult to understand or to figure out, like a, like a riddle, a, a puzzle, or something that's... Um, very complex and it's it's mysterious we can't figure out exactly why in the bible the word mystery many times has a different meaning in the in the bible especially in the new testament many times the word mystery means something that was previously unrevealed it, it it's it's a new piece of information a, a new revelation something that they were unaware of in the old testament and here in the bible in first timothy chapter 3 16 we have the word mystery so I'm going to go through some mysteries in the Bible, and not all of them, obviously. There are several. Uh, I'm going to give you, if, uh, try to give you about five if uh, we have enough time. And so the first one I'm going to look at is right here in 1 Timothy 3.16. Let's read it again. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, mystery of godliness. And then he's going to go and he's going to tell you what that mystery is. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So we we could, first of all, the, the word, the mystery, we have the mystery of godliness. And it describes it as the, the incarnation. That word incarnation means the, the appearance in the flesh, carn. Flesh, carnal. If, if the Bible talks about a carnal Christian, that means he's a fleshly Christian. He walks after the, the lust of the flesh in contrast to the lust, the, 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 the will of the, the spirit. You have a carnivore. What's a carnivore? An, an animal that eats meat, flesh. Carne is the Spanish word for meat. So uh, reincarnation is the false teaching that after you die and then you come back and as another life form or another person or an animal or something. So the incarnation would be the um, Christ in the, or God in the flesh. And specifically, I want you to see it says God was manifest 
in the flesh. God, not just Jesus, but God. This is a, one of the stronger passages that supports the teaching of the deity of Jesus Christ. The teaching that Jesus was God. People say, well, no, wait a minute. Jesus is the Son of God. The Father is God, and then Jesus is the Son of God. Well, it is true that Jesus is the Son of God, but he's not only the Son of God, he's also God the Son. See, that's the, the teaching of, of the deity of Jesus Christ. Did you know in most of the new Bibles, it does not say God was manifest in the flesh? It's, it'll say, depending on which version you read, like the NIV or the New American Standard or a hundred others, they'll say, he was revealed, he appeared in a body. He was manifest, depending on which version. The, the, the um, manuscripts, the minority of manuscripts that most of the new Bibles are based upon, they don't have, in the, in the, the Greek word, they don't have God, they have he, the pronoun. Now that's a big difference because if it just says he was manifest in the flesh or he appeared in a body, it's not saying God, it just says he. And most people will read that and they'll say, well, the, the antecedent of he was obviously Jesus, which is true. Jesus was manifest. But in the King James Bible, it, it's stronger than that. Right. It's specifically saying it was God who was manifest in the flesh, not just Jesus, but God himself. That, that teaches that, that Jesus is God, right. the deity of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's many other verses in the Bible that teach that Jesus Christ was God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you read the context, you see that the Word, capital W, the Word is Jesus Christ. All things were made by Him. The, the Bible says uh, in, in John chapter 20, Thomas, he addressed Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. And notice that Jesus did not correct him when he said that. He didn't say, no, no, Thomas, Thomas, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not God. Only the Father is God. No, he didn't. Jesus received worship. Everything that almost every characteristic and attribute of God the Father, Jesus Christ shared those same characteristics. In fact, the Bible even goes stronger than that. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Not only did Thomas call him God, the Bible calls him God. So all through the Bible you see that Jesus is not just the Son, but he's also God. In fact, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. And when the Jews heard him say that, they picked up stones to stone him because they thought that he was blaspheming God. There's two things about that. Number one, he said that he existed before Abraham. And if he was just a man or, or if he wasn't God in the flesh, how could he exist before Abraham? And then he said, I am. Remember when Moses asked God, he said, well, when I go into the children of Israel and and I tell them that you spoke to me and they want to know what your name is. What do, what do I say? And he said, what is your name? What is your name? He said, I am. I am. The Jews recognized that when Jesus was saying, I am, he was claiming to have the title of God himself. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. 
That's a mystery, one of the mysteries in the Bible. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Let's read this again. God was manifest in the flesh. Now let's remember the context here. It's talking about God, not just Jesus. God was manifest in the flesh. God was justified in the spirit. God was seen of angels. God preached unto the Gentiles. When did God preach unto the Gentiles? During Jesus' earthly ministry, when Jesus was preaching. That was God preaching unto the Gentiles. God believe, was believed on in the world. God was received up into glory. When? After the resurrection. He ascended. God was received up into glory. You see that? The whole context is it's saying that God did these things. That's the mystery of godliness. The incarnation. Let's look at another mystery. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 7. What does it say? The mystery of what? The mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. Let's read it. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. What is exactly the mystery of iniquity? Let's keep reading verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Notice the word wicked is capitalized. That's a proper noun. That's a title. That's a name for somebody. Right? The beast, the Antichrist, the mystery of iniquity is the beast of revelation, whom we often refer to as the Antichrist. Let's look back up and look at some other verses. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So the Antichrist, the beast throughout the Bible has several titles. He's called that wicked. He's called the, the man of sin. He's called the son of perdition. And look at verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, this man who is yet to come, this future figure called the beast, the Antichrist, is going to arrive on the scene, and he is going to claim to be God. And we read in the book of Revelation and elsewhere, it says the whole world wandered after the beast and said, who is like unto the beast? And who is able to make war against the beast? This, this, this false messiah, this imposter, this counterfeit Christ, this, this mastermind who is going to deceive the world and he's going to implement the mark of the beast. And that mark of the beast, as we know, is going to be connected with the number 666. It, that's the, the number of the beast. 
And that mark of the beast, the Bible says, nobody will be able to buy or sell without having that mark in their right hand or their forehead. Now, right now, the world is being conditioned and prepared for this man to arrive on the scene. Right. right now, the whole world is getting ready to worship the devil. This man is basically the devil in the form of a man. The Bible says that he receives his power from Satan. The Bible calls him the son of perdition. And he's going to notice in uh, this verse here, it says in uh, verse four, it says, so that he is God sitteth in the temple of God, the temple, the temple of God, the temple, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD in Jerusalem. There is no temple right now. There hasn't been a temple since 70 AD. But do you know they have plans to rebuild the temple? Who would have ever thought that the Bible could prophesy an event where the temple being destroyed in 70 AD has to exist when this man arrives on the scene in the future? Who would ever thought after all of those years and with the destruction of Jerusalem and the dispersion of the nation of Israel. And then they're back in their land in 1948 as a, as a independent nation. And then here in 2023, they have plans to rebuild that temple. You see how all these things are coming together? And who would have ever thought 2,000 years ago that one day we would have something this technology in place where you have to have something in your under your skin or somewhere on your skin in your right hand or in your forehead to make a financial transaction you know there are many people who don't even believe the bible who believe that it is inevitable that we are going to reach that point with technology right Cash will be obsolete. You're not going to have any more paper bills in your in your wallet or your purse one of these days. It's going to be all computer transactions. It's already like it's almost like that. Few people use cash today like they used to. It's all and in fact a lot of people some people don't even use credit cards anymore. It's all computer. Automatic deductions from your bank account. Uh, they have all these apps. Um, Venmo, you want to pay somebody? Get your cell phone. There, I just sent you this X amount of money on my cell phone. You know, you can um, pay. There's apps and things where you can pay for things with your on your cell phone now. I mean, use it like a credit card. They they scan something on your credit on your cell phone. You don't even have to use. I saw somebody that um, did it with their watch, their wristwatch. They have something <laughs> on their wrist and they just use that to scan the machine at the store like a credit card. So it's coming. It's coming. And uh, the Bible says without that, you'll need to be able to, don't be able to buy or sell anything he, unless you have the, the, the mark of the beast or the, or the name or the number of the beast, which is 666. And the Bible says... Go to Revelation chapter 14. Just in case some of you forgot, 
Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. I remember I was having a discussion with uh, a coworker one time, and she and uh, about the mark of the beast, and she wasn't saved and all that. And I brought up this scenario, and she said, "I will. I may go to hell, but my daughter will not starve." In other words, she's willing to take the mark of the beast in order to buy food for her daughter, even if it means that she'll go to hell and go against the will of God. Uh, are people going to take the mark of the beast? Yes, they are. The Bible says they are. People say, well, they'll never give up those their freedoms and, and privacy and all of that. Uh, if you can't eat, you will. <laughs> or I'm not saying you, but people, generally speaking, human, human beings, yes, you will. You'll give up a lot of things in order to eat. So that's the mystery of iniquity, the Antichrist. So what's the end of the Antichrist. Look at first Thess uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 one more time. Look at verse 8. Here's what's going to happen. This man we, we see he's going to be during the tribulation in the Bible. He's going to be very active, a prominent figure during the tribulation. He's going to deceive the whole world. And then we see that uh, finally he's going to uh, claim to be worshipped in the temple. It's He's going to be very instrumental with the political affairs of the Middle East. And then we see in verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. We see in the battle of Armageddon, he's going to be defeated by Jesus Christ himself at the second advent. Number three, let's go to another mystery and look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 26. Even the mystery, remember I told you one of the definitions of the mystery in the Bible is something that was previously unrevealed? Look at this. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. There's the definition that I gave you oftentimes of mystery in the Bible. Now, he hasn't told us exactly what it is yet. Let's keep reading. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we have the indwelling Christ is another Bible mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you imagine the implication of this. Can you imagine Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is whom the Bible describes as the Bible says in John chapter 1, all things were made by him. You ever looked at some of these books or, or websites or something which puts the universe and, and the planet Earth in perspective when, when compared to all these other stars and 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 planets and, and suns and all of these things out of the universe. And if you, if you put all these things in perspective, if their figures are accurate, you know, they have all the, the Hubble telescope and all of these things, and, and they try to um, estimate how 
how big some of these things are and all these celestial bodies and you and you come to find out based on on their analogy or not analogy but their estimations and and all their perspective that the earth is just a, a little dot in the universe and if you've ever traveled around the world and and looked at some of these the great natural wonders and things of of earth and and how long it takes just to fly you know, across the ocean and all of that this earth this planet is is big there it's enormous but putting things in perspective there's a lot bigger things out there right. you look the earth compared to planet just jupiter in our own solar system and how much bigger some of these things are and if you put all this in perspective and you think the one who made all of this if you're saved is in you Christ in you the hope of glory the creator of the universe is in in me how is that possible <laughs> but his spirit the Bible says Christ in you the hope of glory the Bible says the same spirit that raised up Christ will still will raise us up in the last day and let's look at some other verses on this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Exam I'm sorry, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Jesus Christ is in you. The Bible says we're sealed under the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, know ye not that you're not your own, that you're bought with a, with a price, therefore glorify God uh, in your body and your spirit, which is God's. And the Bible says, know ye you, know you not that the, the Holy Spirit is in you. You have the Holy Spirit. In uh, First and Second John, it says you have both the Father and the Son. So if you read the Bible and put all this together, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in you, all three of them, spiritually speaking. How is that possible? Well, you know that Jesus is omnipresent. The, the Bible says, go to John chapter 3. By the way, this verse is, is um, this part I'm going to show you is missing from most of the new Bibles. John chapter 3 verse 13 and no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven even the son of man which is in heaven well wait a minute how can the son of man be in heaven if he was down here on the earth at the same time he's omnipresent it doesn't feel like Jesus is in you sometimes does it but he is but he is that's a mystery the indwelling Christ you know, the Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. One way that he strengthens you is because you have him with you. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Okay, so that's the mystery of the indwelling Christ. Let's look at a fourth mystery. Go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11.
Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Israel's blindness is another New Testament mystery. The blindness of Israel. This is talking about a national blindness. In the, in the Bible, you have the, the national salvation of Israel. You have the, um, the national restoration of Israel. You have here the national blindness of Israel. Israel as a nation rejected Christ as her Messiah. And because of that, she is temporarily spiritually blind notice it it's not completely it's not permanently it says blindness in part in part not complete in part is happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles become in the fullness of the gentiles is when god in in this present dispensation is no longer focusing on the gentiles uh as far as the um premillennial dispensational eschatological teaching of this uh, the future events what you have is if you can see it uh, just do it here just so you can see it we have right now we would say that we're in the church age and right now we would call this would be included in the times of the gentiles and then you have the rapture the tribulation, then the second advent, then the millennium. And so until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, when this occurs here, the fullness of the Gentiles will be complete, and then God's focus is back on Israel during this time period right here. That's one of the reasons why you read in Revelation you have 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. God's focus is on Israel. You read the book of Revelation, and during the time of the tribulation, a lot of that is focused on Jews, Israel. You have the two witnesses, which match the description of, of who? Moses and Elijah. Jews, Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, God's focus as far as people goes, as far as nations, the focus was Israel. Israel rejected Christ as her Messiah. So God says, okay, let's look at some more verses here just to reiterate what I'm saying. If you look at, uh, look at verse 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, he's talking about writing to the church of Rome are they primarily Jew or Gentile church of Rome Gentile Paul was called the apostle of the Gentiles so when he says in verse 30 as ye talking about Gentiles for as ye in times past have not believed God and primarily the Gentiles did not in the Old Testament times they were idolaters it was the nation of Israel who believed God yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, through Israel's unbelief. So God says, Israel, here's your Messiah. He calls the, 
Jesus calls his disciples. He said, go and you preach the gospel of the kingdom. You don't go to the Gentiles right now. You only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews get first dibs. They're God's chosen people as a nation. Israel as a nation rejects Christ as her Messiah. So God says, okay, I'm going to put you to the side and I'm going to go to the Gentiles and focus on the Gentiles. Times of the Gentiles. When the fullness of the Gentiles become in, the Bible says, then what happens? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Then Israel, the blindness, the other verse of the Bible says, when the heart turns to God, the veil will be taken away. Look at uh, verses 26 through 29. It says, and so all Israel shall be saved. That's nationally, not individually. That doesn't mean every single Jew is going to be saved. It says, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now let me make a few comments about this because there are different teachings. There's one teaching that's called replacement theology. Replacement th theology, which is uh, most people are, are who believe in covenant theology, they believe that the church replaced Israel. They believe that because the nation of Israel rejected Christ as the Messiah, that God is completely finished with the nation of Israel and the church replaced Israel and Israel is just like any other Gentile nation. That's not what we read. It says in verse 28, the last part of verse 28 they are beloved for the father's sake look at verse 29 for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance meaning God's not going to change his mind about his position of Israel all through the Old Testament God made promises to the nation of Israel and so no they're not just like any other Gentile nation today God still has a plan for the nation of Israel and they are still going to be restored. And, and in fact, in the millennium, a lot of those, that's when a lot of those prophecies in the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled when it comes to Israel. Now, does that mean in verse 26 that every single Jew will be saved? All Israel shall be saved? No. A Jew who rejects Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and dies in that condition goes to hell just like a Gentile. And a Jew who gets saved is in the body of Christ just like a Gentile. They are not some sort of superior Christian just because they're a Jew. The Bible says in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile. But we know that Jews do go to hell and did go to hell because in the Bible, Jesus told a lot of them that they were going to go to hell. He called them the children of hell. How shall you escape the damnation of hell? Some of them, they, he, Jesus said that they committed the unpardonable sin. The rich man in hell in Luke chapter 16 said, Father Abraham, a Gentile would never address Abraham as father. A Jew would. That guy was a Jew in Luke chapter 16. Father Abraham, he said, and he's in hell. 
Jesus said that the kingdom will be taken away from you and, and given to somebody else. He said the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom before you, you serpents, you generation of vipers. Uh, you make you um, go and uh, make a, pro, a proselyte see and land, and you make somebody twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. You shall receive the greater damnation. There are some people who teach that every single Jew will be saved. That's not biblical. There are some people who teach that we don't need to witness to Jews. That's not biblical. There are some people who teach that um, Jews get saved a different way than Gentiles today. That, that they're not supposed to receive Jesus as their Messiah, that they're supposed to just keep the law. That's not biblical. The book of Galatians addresses that. So there's a lot of different teachings and false teachings about the, this mystery about the blindness of Israel. All right, and then our last mystery here is going to be found in 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. The context here is not sleeping in your bed when you go to sleep at night. The context is death, physical death. We shall not all die physically, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When does this happen? Let's look at another account of, of this that's similar. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So this last mystery would be what we commonly refer to as the rapture. Now the word rapture is not in the Bible. But the teaching of the rapture is in the Bible. There are some theological terms that we use that are not found in the Bible, like Trinity and, and here, rapture. But the teaching, you could call it, if you wanted to be strictly biblical, you could call it the blessed hope. But um, some people teach that this is not going to happen. And I mean people that believe the Bible. They say, no, this this is some sort of recent teaching and the the Christian church has jumped on this on the bandwagon of teaching the rapture that everybody all these Christians are just going to instantly just disappear and, and be caught up into heaven and, and they call it the rapture and they make movies about it left behind series and all of this and they say that that we are misinterpreting the Bible and, and it's a false hope or it's wishful thinking or something and it's just because we want to escape the tribulation that's coming. And so one day, one day I, thought, I told myself, okay, I'm going to look at this passage 
And I'm going to try to forget that I ever even heard of this teaching of the rapture. And I'm going to look at this passage just from, through a fresh, clear lens without any preconceived notions or biases. And I, and I, and I told myself, I'm going to look at this. And if this, if this was the first time I was reading this passage and I never heard of the rapture, would I come to that conclusion? And I looked at this. And it said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. There's nothing that indicates it's a spiritual resurrection. It looks like it's physical. Because in other passages it says that the graves are open and, and people and everybody's going to rise from the dead. Saved and lost. And then it says in verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And you compare that with 1 Corinthians 15. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. So to me, I can't see how it could teach anything other than the fact that there are going to be some people that are never going to die physically. And that's going to be at the time of the second advent. And it clearly says they're going to be caught up. And I thought, but that just, I mean, you have to admit it does seem pretty wild. But then I remember that this happened to two other people in the Bible in the Old Testament. Right? Enoch and Elijah. And those clearly were literal, physical, catching up without them ever dying physically. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Elijah, they were looking for him for three days. <laughs> this was not something that, oh, after he died and then there's, there's a spiritual resurrection or the resurrection of his body after he died or, or some people say, well, it's a spiritual resurrection. When you get saved, it's a spiritual resurrection. No, I mean, it's literal physical. If you're going to be honest with the text, that is what it is teaching. Now, it is true that it does not specifically say we're just going to vanish and disappear. I don't see that. But what I do see is that it says that we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And it says we'll be, we're going to be caught up. So to me, it makes sense. It makes perfectly sense that if it happens like that instantaneous, we are going to be caught up. Is it going to be visible to other people? I can perfectly rationalize the fact that if it happens so quickly that it could be an instantaneous disappearing vanish where you're just caught up to be with the with with him and I, I've gone through this uh, several times through the, the past about the differences between the rapture and the second advent we know at the second advent it says that every eye shall see him and all of that and that's very Visible and, and he's coming all the way to the earth, whereas in the rapture it doesn't indicate that he's, it doesn't say he's coming all the way to the earth. It says he's, that we're going to appear with him in the clouds. Okay, so there's a distinct difference between the rapture and the second advent. But we do know for sure that these things, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says when that happens, our physical body, 
those of us who are still alive and remain, we will not taste physical death. And in fact, it even goes beyond that. It says that we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It says in verse 53, for this corruptible, meaning our corruptible body right now, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We will receive our glorified body. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They will receive their glorified body, go up. Then we were to alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We receive an immortal, glorified, incorruptible, sinless body. Amen. No more sickness, no more death, no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more none of that. So, Mike, do you think then we can eat sugar? <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus ate food in his resurrected body? Yeah. And the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there will be food to eat in your glorified body. And you won't have to worry about your health or anything. I like how one, one preacher said in your glorified body, you can do anything that you want without having to stop and wonder if it's right or wrong before you do it. Because it says will be conformed to the image of his son. So if you are sinless, if you can't sin in your glorified body, you don't have to stop and wonder if what you're going to do is a sin or not. You can do whatever you want because whatever you want to do will be a good holy thing. You won't you will not have the 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 sinful flesh and the the seed of Adam and the fallen nature. All right, so those are some Bible Mysteries. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for revealing these things in your word. And I pray that these things would uh, edify, comfort us today, that we would um, be excited about studying the word of God, that we would be especially look forward to this, the blessed hope. And we pray for your return in Jesus' name. Amen.